0: Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 58, and this is going to be uh, this is going to be uh, uh, in the sermon. I'm going to actually give you just a little bit. I'm going to start the sermon right now because I'm going to reference Isaiah 58 in the sermon, and uh, I'm going to kind of say what I want to say about it right now. So that when I get to the actual sermon, I'll just say, "Remember Isaiah 58." Okay. As we read through Isaiah 58, this is a text that we've looked at in adult Bible study. It's a text that the elders have looked at. looked at There's a gazillion of these texts. In the Old Testament prophets and in Jesus' teaching too, that now, when I'm reading this, pay attention to what he's saying that real religion, you knowing God, will result, will result in care for the poor. It's non negotiable part of Christianity that we take care of the physical needs of each other and the world outside of these walls. Listen to what Isaiah says. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, God says to Isaiah. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. In other words, they're going to church. They're praying. They're doing the right. They're like, they're having worship services. But, verse three, here's the question that they ask. Why have we fasted and you see it not? They're saying to God, we're real, we're we're real, we're good church people. Why are we, we're going to church and we're doing all this stuff. Why have you not seen how we're fasting? You're not listening to us. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and God, you take no knowledge of it? Here's God's answer. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second reading uh, from Acts 6. This will actually be the sermon text. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the hellenist that's the... uh the Gentile believers who have joined the church arose against the Hebrews, the Jewish believers who were already in the church, because their widows, the non Jewish widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory to You, O Lord. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, uh, let me go ahead and uh thank you in advance uh for being gracious uh with the next uh 25 minutes. I uh last last Sunday I did not preach an expositional sermon. I did not preach like from one text. Uh this Sunday I'm not going to either because of what we need to talk about. Uh this is the kind of thing that if we could have like Uh, A congregational meeting, or if I could convince everybody to come to Adult Bible Study, we could talk about it there, but since we can't, I'm going to have to talk about it here, and as a result, this is going to be a little bit different, like last Sunday's was. One of the ladies who is in um, uh, the new members class who's been visiting uh, said to me something along the lines of, like, last Sunday, that sermon was kind of weird. And I was like, well, yeah, I, I actually, it was not really much of a sermon because we just bounced around and looked at different texts. I didn't preach from a specific text. And she said, she said, yeah, because like the Sunday before that, I learned something. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't take that as like an insult. That's actually, that's super good insight on her. Like I can stand up here and talk for forever and say like all the super wise stuff that I've got in my head. And you could walk out and be like, okay. That was a nice Aaron Miller hour. If I preach from God's word, I know for a fact that you walk away saying, that was, that was good. And it's not, you know, it's not me. It's actually just the Bible that does that, right? So I, I wish, you know, this will be the last Sunday that I do this. But I do want to talk about this. So last Sunday we talked about elders and we talked about how I cannot be the sole leader of this church. If I am the master of this church, this church is going to be really, really screwed up. Because it's going to carry all of my sin. It's going to be a reflection of all of my weaknesses. And so what I argued, and this is not like just my opinion, I argued from that this is what the New Testament teaches, that the church is led by a plurality of elders, all sharing the shepherding responsibilities. Not one of them with more authority than the other in God's eyes, except for that those who teach the word are going to end up having the authority that comes from just handling the Bible. It's not its not my authority. It's just I end up speaking the word, and like the lady says, when I speak the word, stuff happens. You learn something. It's not me. I don't have more authority than the rest of the elders in the church, except that I'm the guy up here preaching, right, and administering the sacrament. Today, I want to talk about uh, deacons. This is the second office that God has designed for the New Testament church to do its work. This is going to be weird for some of you. Some of you who grew up in uh, uh, Roman Catholic traditions and in some Lutheran traditions will think of the deacon as like a pastoral assistant, somebody who helps with preaching and communion if the pastor's not there. Or we'll think of them as like, some, in, in, our, uh, in the LCMS circles, we have what are called deaconesses, uh, which are uh, women who, you have to actually be a larger church with money to do this, who are called and paid to do mercy ministry, what I'm going to argue is that every New Testament church needs one of these, needs multiples of these to do the work of the ministry. So let's start off with what I said we were going to start off with, Isaiah 58, 1-12. through And let me just make the point that I made earlier, and then we're going to move on real quick. The point that, in God's eyes, true religion is to care for the fatherless and widows, as the book of James says. That knowing Jesus means... We will have a heart for the poor. That we will have a heart that longs to meet the needs of the oppressed and the disenfranchised and those who are struggling in our congregation and outside of our congregation. There's going to be something that sits on top of this con- on top of this conversation, and that is the need for grace. It takes grace to want to serve the poor. It takes grace to want to be served. To I didn't ask Dave Moldenhauer if I could say this. So Dave, just stop me if this is inappropriate. So uh, my car, you guys, if you've seen my car, you know that it's like a piece of junk. It's held together uh, with scotch tape. Uh, it frequently does not work. And recently it wasn't working. And uh, Dave said, hey, you can use my car. I was like, no, nah, you need your car. No, 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 no. seriously. He was real, like, genuinely excited to say, you can use my car. Like, I'll pick you up, and you drive me to school and drop me off, and then you use your car, and then come back at the end of school and pick me up, and I'll drop you off. It'll work. It's great. He was real excited, and I did it as a favor to him. Also, I needed a car, too. So uh, as I was driving Dave's car around town, uh, what happened to Dave's car is what happens uh, to all the cars that I touch. I got this. I, I inherited this ability from my father. Like, something really bad started happening, in the right rear wheel. And so Dave had to take it into the shop. And then all of a sudden, Dave needed a car. And Ruth Thompson, who is here, said, hey, I can't use my car. I'm having uh, some surgery done. Dave, you can use my car. And all of a sudden, eager Dave Moldenhauer was like, no, that, that's okay. That's a, that's a, that's, I don't want to put you out. And, and Dave and I talked about this. There's, there's like a grace in wanting to serve people that's sort of easier than the grace of allowing yourself to be served. And what we're all going to have to do is ask for the grace to have our needs met. Especially as postmoderns, we're all addicted to the god of individualism. And you know, y'all, y'all are Americans, right? You can do it on your own. Self sufficiency is like the first trait you're taught when you're popped out of the cradle. Is you can do this on your. You need to learn to do this on your own. And here, the Bible says you can't do it on your own. <laughs> It's hard, and we're going to need to pray that God would give us the grace as we talk about this conversation of deacons and deaconesses, that God would give us the grace to be served by each other as well as to serve each other, okay? True religion is to take care of our, each other's needs and to allow our needs to be taken care of. The Gospel reading in Matthew 25 is shocking. It's absolutely not, not shocking for those of you who've been in an adult Bible study because you've talked about this recently. But Jesus says that on the last day when we stand before his throne, And he decides who's in and who's out. He is not going to ask you, did you accept Jesus into your heart? He is not going to ask you, when were you baptized? He is going to say to you on that last day, did you feed the hungry? Did you visit the prisoners? Did you clothe the naked? Did you give drink to the thirsty? And on that basis, he separates us into sheep and goats. That is shocking. Now, now what he's not saying is that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is not true, that you're, you're not saved by grace, you're saved by works. But what he is saying is this, same thing Isaiah is saying. All the prophets are saying when they talk about mercy ministry. What they're saying is, is if you really know Jesus, if your heart has been lit with the grace of God in Jesus Christ, you will care for others who need caring for The notion that we can like go through confirmation and have good theology and then sit on our butts here in this room and not do anything with it is a false gospel. You will not be asked, how did you do in confirmation when you stand before God on the last day? You will not ask, how much of Luther's small catechism can you quote? You will be asked, what did you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ to serve those who need serving? I don't know how else to, it's really hard, I don't know how else to say it, I mean, I could read the gospel reading again out loud to us. We're going to have to come to grips with this. That this is what we as a church are called to do. It's what we as a church have frequently failed at doing. Trapped by the lies of the enemy and by the lies of our own flesh into thinking that what goes on up here makes us good Christians. And that what James is saying when he says that true religion is to care for the fatherless and the widows is somehow trumped by our theology. This is not the case. How has God designed it? So this is, the, this is the reality. We're going to have to start taking care of the needs that are in our midst and the needs that are in our community. How has God designed the church to do this? God is actually, because this is not easy to do, right? It's not easy to step outside of yourself. It's not easy to take the step, the scary step, of getting involved in other people's needs and in their lives. It's easy maybe to throw a little bit of money at it every once in a while and not to do this relationally not to do it in a holistic way, which can bring the gospel to bear on people's lives, both the content of gospel message, the good news that Jesus has died and rose from the dead, but also the actions of the gospel message, that God is redeeming the world, and that means that the sick can be healed, and that the hungry can be fed, and that the poor can be lifted up out of their poverty. It's hard to do this. So God has come up with a plan to make this happen. And the roots of this plan... The skeleton of this plan is in Acts chapter 6. Look at this reading with me. Now in these days, this is the days of the early church, the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Right away you see that the church is called, and this is not like new information. It's everywhere all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. The church is called to take care of its widows, of its widowers, of its orphans. But now there's a burden on the church to do this, and the guys who are in charge of it are doing all of it, right? I mean, they're preaching, they're teaching, they're praying for the congregation, they're trying to make sure that the needs, the physical needs, are being spiritually met, and it's just too much, and it's not getting done. And we're not told the reason why it's not getting done. Maybe it's just because it's too much. Maybe there is a sort of a latent racism in it, like we care for the Jewish Christians first, and then the non-Jewish Christians next. It's not until Acts 15 when these issues are sort of hashed out, like, are the Gentiles actually full-fledged members with this, or are they actually second-class members? It's not for a while that we get there. Here, maybe that's what's going on. We don't know. What we know is that some people's needs aren't getting met. God comes up with a plan to fix this. The apostles say this in verse 2. It's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. That word, serve, it's actually just the word, serve, tables, is actually the verb in Greek. I could say it's for deacon. It's actually in Greek, it's just the word deacon. It says literally, we shouldn't give up preaching the word to deacon, to become deacons. So what are they going to do? They're going to choose deacons. Here's how they do it. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. And now there's going to be three qualities that are needed here that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Full of the Spirit, Full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer. And to the, but we will ap- uh, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and then the rest. This was a good idea to all of them, and they put these guys in charge of taking. Let me say it this way: L- Listen to me real close. Spiritually, taking care of the physical needs of the church. What we don't want to do is divide up people's needs into physical and spiritual. That's that's a, that's a false. I could throw some philosophy at you, like about Platonism, and duality. It's a false duality in the Bible to think of like, well, spiritual needs are important, the physical needs are not very important. That's one of the reasons why we're having problems with taking care of the needs of the poor in the church is because we fall pray. We we fall and pray to this duality. To spiritually, it is gospel to take care of the needs of the poor in the name of Jesus. I, I don't want to was it St. Francis of Assisi? I don't want to like, maybe it's a little bit of a worn out cliche. Preach the gospel every chance you can get. And if necessary, use words. He said, that's kind of what's going on here. That's kind of what's going on here. The deacons here, second thing I want you to know here, the deacons in Acts 6 that are chosen are, this list of seven men are all males. They're all men. We know from the rest of the New Testament that there are female deacons too. Romans 16 verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I'm commending to you Phoebe, who is a deaconess of the church at Kincrea. And what, here's what, here's what he says. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. So, so besides the fact that she's a woman, I want to bring us back in a few minutes to this last line. Give her any help that she may need from you. In 1st Timothy 3, and we're not going to read this this morning. I would encourage you to do it. In 1st Timothy 3, where Paul outlines the qualifications, for deacon, he also lists the qualifications for women deacons in there as well. This is the things that women should be good at if they are going to be deacons and deaconesses in the church. Meanwhile, let's not go to First Timothy three. Let's talk about the qualifications for deacons here in Acts chapter six. Okay, so first of all, God calls deacons to spiritually meet the needs, the physical needs of the congregation. Does deacons can be men and women? Three, there are qualifications for being a deacon or a deaconess, and those qualifications of this, there are three things here. Verse 5, uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 3, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Now look down at verse 5, full of faith. Deacons and deaconesses should be people who lead the congregation by being full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and full of faith. Now, what we need to do is real briefly, if we can't talk about what it means to be full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and full of faith. That's going to be impossible. Those Each one of those is entire sermon series to itself. Let me give you just quick bullet points. We're not going to unpack this at all, although we need to. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be full of wisdom, and full of faith? There's basically three things that being full of the Holy Spirit means in the New Testament. There's three things that the Holy Spirit does to those men and women whom he infills. One, he convicts us of our sin. Jesus says this in the Gospel of John. Two, he points us to Christ. He reveals Christ to us. He applies Christ to however you want to say it. The Holy Spirit's main job is to connect us to Jesus. Convicts us of sin. Connects us to Jesus. And the third thing, empowers us with his gifts to serve the body. Those are three things. So you see what it's doing? It's making us not. It's convicting us of sin that we are incapable of justifying ourselves or of like doing kingdom work on our own. It points us to Jesus. It fills us with Jesus. And then it sends us out to serve the body of Christ with spiritual gifts. Those three things. If you know of somebody in the congregation who is this way or who longs to be this way, somebody who's convicted of their sin, somebody who's absolutely flipped out in love with Jesus, somebody who longs to serve the congregation, that person is a good deacon or deaconess candidate. Full of wisdom. What does wisdom mean? Again, this could be, we could talk for four or five sermons about what biblical wisdom is because it's so multifaceted. If you look at the book of Proverbs or the book of Job, just so many, the book of James, there's so many angles to it. But let me sum it up this way and this is really, really shallow. Wisdom in the Bible is knowing God's will and doing God's will. Just That's almost so shallow, it's worthless. It needs to be unpacked. Somebody who knows God's will, that's probably a lot of you, people who dress up and come to church on Sunday morning. Typically, people who are interested in knowing what's going on here and what God thinks. Doing God's will is the next step. This is basically James, in in the epistle of James, this is basically James' definition, right? Is that wisdom is knowing God's will and also doing it. Blessed are those who are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word too. If you know of somebody who's not just interested in theology because they like to argue with people, or they're interested in theology because they just love learning new things, that's a good reason to actually be interested in anything. But they're interested in theology, they're interested in knowing the Bible, they're interested in Jesus because they want to be truly human in the world. That person's a good candidate for deacon or deaconess. And then finally, full of faith. In verse 5, Stephen is described as a man full of faith. First Timothy... The qualifications say it this way. A deacon or deaconess should be a person who holds the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Somebody who's radically committed to Jesus and can do that with a clear conscience. Can know that my faith in Jesus is pure. Not that you never have doubts. Not that you never slip up and fall. Not that you don't fail sometimes. Not that you don't lose your temper. Not that you aren't a selfish person from moment to moment but that you genuinely want to know Christ and you believe that Jesus is not only the one who saves you from your sins, but the one who empowers you to righteous living in the world. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith. This is what deacons and deaconesses look like. So then, what are we going to do? And this is the part where this is less sermonic than the rest. I'm going to call us to think about the church in maybe a different way than we thought of the church before. The way that typically in the Lutheran church and in other churches that I've been, the way it works is this. A little bit of a rehash from last Sunday. You have a sole pastor or associate pastors who aren't really in charge. They're just kind of like you think of them as pastors in training. You know, they get to preach. But really the the sole pastor, me, is like the lord of the manor, right? You have a council who are the business people of the church. And they think about money and property and things like that. And you have elders who are like the the spiritual people in the church. And they come to elders meeting once a month. Like I said last week, and they listen to the pastor talk for a while, and they nod their head yes. And every once in a while they vote on, you know, what should we, you know, should we expand the Sunday school? What do you think? Everybody nods their head yes. And then you go home and you come back a month later for a similar sort of meeting. Now what I'm arguing from the New Testament, and people, the goal is the Bible, right? Right? I mean, there's all different ways we can think about how to structure our church, how to make it run smoothly. But the goal is to do what the Bible says, how we've done it in the past, be danged. And in the Bible, there are two offices. There's elders and deacons. And the elder's job is to shepherd the flock, not to lord it over the flock. Remember what 1 Peter 5 says. Not to be in charge, not to be the bosses of the flock, but to be the servants, to be the people who pray for the pray for you guys diligently, who think about your soul, who study God's word so that they can teach it to you. Not so that they can say, I'm the head elder here and I made this decision and if you don't like it, there's lots of other churches in the neighborhood you can go to. But say, I'm here to be your slave. I'm here in the name of Jesus with God's word to like be your guys' footstool, to be used however you want to. And I, and I think I can speak for the other people who are elders here, We'll say, don't don't ever call me up and say, I'm sorry, I know you're busy. Like, I am here for this, and the elders are here to serve you, to do whatever it is that you need them to do to help bring you to Jesus. The deacons are called to take care, spiritually take care of the physical needs. What happens in in churches like ours is this. There's a guy. Let's call him Aaron, because that's what my name is. He's the Lord of the church. He's the senior pastor. And it's his job to do everything except the stuff we don't want him messing with. right? And so he's supposed to preach. He's supposed to do hospital visits. He's supposed to take care of all the needs. If you go to the hospital and he doesn't know, oh man, that's bad news. And what happens is, is that there are people who go to the hospital and nobody knows and they need to be taken care of. There's physical needs of the congregation that are not getting met because one person can't do it all even though sometimes that one person doesn't want anybody else doing it because they want to be in charge. There are needs of the community that aren't getting met because nobody really knows what to do. It's not that people don't want to do it, but you're just kind of like, you're waiting around for the Lord and Lord of the manor to say, here's what we're going to do. And the Lord of the manor either is not interested in it because he has other interests or he just doesn't have the time to do it. God has structured his church so that we can be cared for by the elders and we can get busy doing the work of the ministry, caring for the poor amongst us, You know what I mean by poor? Like I was poor when I didn't have my car. I needed a car. Take care of the poor and the people who need help outside of the congregation. To have a group of deacons and elders to work together to lead us in these ministries. I'm going to say this. It's a necessary step to us actually being the church. Not just showing up here on Sunday morning and having a good time with each other, but to actually start being the church here in the community. All right, that's the first thing. The second thing is this. If this is a description, the description of deacon and deaconess, if this is a description of who you want to be, and if you long in your heart to put what you believe about Jesus into practice, then you could be a good candidate for this. I want you to pray about being a deacon or deaconess. You'll you'll notice if you read the New Testament that elders are almost always appointed by other elders. But here in Acts 6, the church is instructed to choose people from amongst you to be deacons. We need the church to find people amongst us to say, we need these people to head up mercy ministries. To head up mercy ministries. Remember what Paul says about Phoebe? I commend to you Phoebe the deaconess from the church in Cancria. I'm sending her to you. He's probably writing to the, he's writing from Corinth to the church in Rome. Cancria is in Greece. I'm sending her over to you. I want you to, to help her out in any way possible. It is not the job of the deacon, deacons and deaconesses to do all the mercy ministry so that we can, make, you know, we'll, we'll contribute to a deacon fund or something like that, and then they can do it. It's the job of the deacons and deaconesses to create a structure so that all of us can participate in what God has called us to do. Isaiah 58, Matthew 25, taking care of the needs of the poor. We just need structure, right? We just need somebody to say, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we need to do. And we don't have that right now. And so it's not getting done. Deacons and deaconesses is God's plan to make make that happen. Be praying about who should be deacons and deaconesses. Be praying that God would lead us in the way that he wants us to go to take care of the needs of the people around us in his name. All right, uh, it's not a normal sermon, I know. Let me, uh, I don't usually do this. Let me close in prayer for us, okay? Uh, God, we thank you for your plan and your word for structuring your church. Structure might be a bad word. I don't know for organizing your church so that the needs of the congregation and of the community can get met. we all, we all I need shepherding, Lord. Uh, I need uh, help with my physical needs as well. I need the church to come to my aid at almost every point. God, empower us to do this for each other. And then empower us to do this in Glen Carbon so that we can be your hands and your feet and your knees and your legs and your shoulders in this world. And here in Glen Carbon, doing the ministry that you called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.